Hello and welcome to Demon Cast Season 2, Episode 5, The Case of the Interdimensional Sleepover. I'm Sarah. I'm Chris. And here we are back again. Yes, after a, a break in our usual schedule for understandable reasons, I think. Yeah, I think it just didn't feel right to either of us to be recording at that particular time. I think there were far more important people to be listening to at that moment. We were kind of acutely aware of that. So we hope that you read the, the links that we shared with you in, instead of putting out our last episode. Um, but we're back on our normal two-weekly schedule now, unless something else terrible happens in the world. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Um and we also hope you're taking care of yourself because it has been a difficult time. <laughs> yeah, 2020 has been a heck of a year. Yeah. Um, so we hope you're all looking after yourselves, drinking water. What are the amenities? Eating vegetables, doing exercise. Breathing air. All of which I do not do enough of. So, yeah, we hope you're um, <laughs> doing all that stuff you we need to do. We hope you're doing more of that than Sarah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, we now live in a city that has got a, an acute outbreak of coronavirus, had about 25% of its total cases over the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. So it's Demoncast now with added terror. Yes, mild terror. <laughs> mild terror, yeah. Maybe it needs one of those little advisory warnings you get at the beginning of TV shows on Netflix mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, mild jeopardy. Yes. Graphic injury, two weirdos screaming at each other across a single microphone, (laughs) that kind of warning. (laughs) Yeah. And we're also coming at this for a second time because we had... Oh, yes, a computer malfunction (laughs) yesterday. Yeah. And luckily we didn't get too far through. It It was far through enough for it to be quite annoying, but not far enough for us to be like weeping into our hands. I mean, I did throw a pair of headphones across the room. (laughs) <laughs> and break them slightly. Oh they are broken, yeah. Uh, well, you can just you can hear them that's, rattling. That's a lesson to everyone. When you get annoyed, don't break stuff. Yes, do more healthy things than Sarah, and less rageful things than Chris. Mm-hmm. There's a life lesson from Demon Cast. <laughs> Uh, so today we're doing chapter five, right? Airmail paper. Yes. Um, but I, I want to say at the start that I've been spending quite a lot of time just sat at home reading random stuff and I came across something that I think it's not necessarily specifically relevant to today's chapter but it's relevant to the series overall something that shook me a little um and I won't talk Mm. about it now we'll leave it till the end you're doing a proper teaser there yeah give people at least one reason to listen Um, (laughs) but it really yeah it's relevant to the whole book series overall it's a real world thing Mm. that is relevant to the book and you were hype about it stay tuned for that I was hype about it I still don't know exactly what it means if I'm honest but I'm I'm, I'm prepared (laughs) to talk about all these things I don't understand yeah (laughs) so chapter five airmail paper yes and um we get Lyra finding Will telling him about what's happened with Mary Malone yeah and also demonstrating to him her patented bluffing method by speaking to two policemen 
yeah, who didn't seem to be all that interested in them in the first place. Um, so she just goes and asks them for some directions and mm-hmm. then comes back and says, look, they weren't suspicious of me at all. That's why you need me. Yeah. And she says, you ain't safe on your own. Yeah. Not safe with you either, Lyra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there's, there's meant to be possibly a little bit of humour in this as well from Phil. Supposed to show maybe Lyra's recklessness. Yeah, and that she can be, I was going to say a little blinkered, but like pretty blinkered at times as to her own behaviour and the impact that it has on other people. Absolutely. Uh, Definitely something we've spoken about before. Um, It all just seemed a little bit non sequitur to me. The, The beginning of this chapter, the way it was written, it makes sense when you read it, when you're reading it along with what Phil's written. Mm hmm. But looking back on how it opens with her kind of essentially challenging the police to catch them almost it seems and a few other things that happen throughout the chapter it doesn't feel that organic to the story i think it's more like the power of phil's writing that makes it seem to fit but it just seemed a bit odd that she would just randomly do that yeah do you mean as opposed to having them come over to her and then her have yeah like the the police could have come over and asked them what they were doing or something because they're two kids on their own you know rather than it be her approaching the police I don't know it felt a little bit inorganic I don't know I felt it was more showing again that sort of kind of not thinking things through side because I think if Lyra is a more sensible person she would only have used her bluffing techniques and things when someone approached her but she kind of gets it a bit backwards because like yes that is a good idea but also maybe not when you're deliberately drawing attention to yourself yeah um Um, so she kind of uses it slightly wrong and she's sort of also doing it in a slightly showy offy way which again shows her sort of personality at this point is that she has not really maybe thought things through quite as well as she should have yeah so it upsets will quite a bit that she's done Mm -hmm. this i think i'm with will in that i don't think it was necessary (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i don't think i i think it was necessary either i think again it's like she uses it in the wrong way a potentially good skin in the wrong way he feels inward rage kind of as you would if someone did this to you like she's kind of trying to make him feel like he's the one that needs looking after and it's like bitch you keep getting yourself into trouble yeah you keep you keep making me need being looked after yeah like you got yourself run over within like two seconds of being here (laughs) um but he is good at controlling his anger um he keeps it in he doesn't actually say anything to her he yeah he bottles that rage mm-hmm. and and at this point will has sort of stopped feeling like a sort of serial killer type mother obsessed character to me and a bit more like michael douglas in falling down like at any moment he's going to walk into mcdonald's and shoot it up with an uzi because they stopped serving breakfast three mm-hmm. minutes ago you know the the rage of a quiet man yeah the sort of reference that only people you know 30 plus are gonna yeah but i feel like people know what falling down is it's a film i've never heard of it but you're more of a book person than a film person i think people know what falling down is although arguably our listeners are probably more book people than film people so yeah so it's kind of like a, a sort of what like an everyday guy who kind of loses it yeah he's kind of constantly bottling up things that annoy him road rage and stuff like that and then one day he just snaps on his way to work in the middle of this heat wave and spends the day 
wandering around LA, I think it was, basically doing mass shootings. Oh. Um, but it's kind of, it's not like, you know, he doesn't tend to shoot innocent people. Well, he shoots up a McDonald's. I don't think he kills anyone in the McDonald's, though. I think he just damages property. A lot of the people that he kills are criminals. I, I don't, yeah, it's not, he's not a great role model. I wasn't saying he was a great <laughs> okay. role model. That's good, because I'm looking at you, like, slightly like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's where I think he's yeah. kind of Mr. Bottled Rage now, rather than Mr. Mother Obsessed Serial Killer. Yeah, and the thing with that kind of rage is that, yeah, you're good at controlling it now, but at some point, it's got to come out, like, in some point, and that's either it'll come out with an explosive burst of rage, or... If you're like me, you'll turn it inwards. <laughs> yes, and I don't know which as well. Worse, exactly. There's no such thing as like not having anger. It's just how you process it, I think, mm -hmm. and how you deal with it. So we move on from that slide to um, a really nice description of Oxford. And I do love these moments with Phil where he really sets the scene for us. And yeah, the description here is just really lovely. He says... The air felt rich with it, almost the colour itself of heavy golden wine, which I can imagine being like that, you know, that sort of heavy summer light, especially in the kind of afternoon when, yeah, the air feels thick. And I felt like you were there for a moment, you know? What, what did the air feel thick with, though? That quote, the air felt thick with it. The air felt rich with it. Yeah. I want to say it was sunshine or heat or something, but I didn't write it down. Semen. I, oh, God. <laughs> Whatever it was, the yeah, air felt thick with it. Um, but we do go back to like a little bit more of Will and Lyra arguing. They sort of continue their argument mm, a little. Yeah. And Lyra actually remembers that Will has feelings. Suddenly. Yeah. Um, it's not something she normally picks up on particularly well. No. So... Potentially a little bit of growth for Lyra here, or... See, I think, could it be that because Will doesn't have a demon, mm. which is obviously something that reacts a lot to the way people feel, maybe it's hard for Lyra to appreciate his feelings without that very obvious external sign. Yeah. Like, maybe for her, it's like looking at a person that has no facial expressions would be for us. Particularly because children's demons, like, their entire shape can change based on what they're feeling. Yeah, that's that's really true. It's not something I really considered, but Lyra probably would sort of lose that ability to kind of as easily just, read people. Yeah. It just wouldn't be as there. And yeah, Will disapproves massively. He thinks she's not taking things seriously. Yeah, they, they have a big tiff about each other's methods, essentially. Yeah, um, and Lyra does get angry and she's not as good at controlling it. She is more of that instant outward anger she doesn't have the the control that will does um sometimes she comes off as a brat a little bit yes but she does get very um defensive mm -hmm. and she says something quite interesting which is i'm the best liar there ever was if i ain't lying to you and i never will i swear it so as annoying as she can be i know when she's made a promise or set something in her mind she's very stuck to that point and she doesn't know will that well at the moment but she's saying to him you know she won't lie to him and she never will yeah never it's quite a childish swear it it's quite a childish promise yeah i suppose she could see it like that i saw it more as a like she has a kind of resolve and even though she can be a bit of a knob sometimes she 
you know, when she's got it in her head that to the right thing to do, she will she will follow that. Yeah. But yeah, Lyra is actually convinced that she helped Will out. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe not fully redeemed by that last bit. And um, yeah, so she thinks that she's actually doing him the favour. She accuses him of not being serious. So it's very like, well, you're not taking it serious and you're not taking it yeah. serious. Um, Lyra also accuses Will of being there to help himself to find his dad and mm. not help her, which is interesting because obviously... Will's not really told Lyra that much about his dad and what he's kind of up to. Yeah. Um, so he's shocked. And mm. Lyra essentially ends up showing him how she uses the alethiometer f- to find things out. And it's told her about Will's mum, the letters that he's taken from their home, how he killed the man, the intruder, in their home. And Will's real angry. Yeah. He is, he is. And he thinks she has no right to use it to pry into his life. Yeah, which is, you know, absolutely fair. Um, But Lyra kind of goes into a little bit of information here about sort of relationships she has with the alethiometer. Kind of something we've talked about before, about its sentience. Yes. Um, so she says, the alethiometer is like a person almost. I sort of know when it's going to be cross or when there's things it doesn't want me to know. So she's kind of saying that she wouldn't push beyond what is reasonable because she knows that it won't approve or won't let her know. Yeah. And doesn't she say something about it not helping if you're trying to do the wrong thing as yeah. well? It says, it says... She says, if I had done nothing but spy on people, it had stopped working. I know that as well as I know my own Oxford. Which is really interesting because if her alethiometer won't let her do, I guess, morally dubious things, then why does the magisterium's alethiometer work for them? Yeah, that is a bit of a sticking point because we can only assume that it's trying to help Lyra, but then... Yeah, but so we know from what happened with Mary now mm. that it really it's a communication device that talks to dust, essentially. Mm. What dust exactly is, we're still not really aware yet in terms of why dust is sentient and why it's meddling in human affairs like a Greek god. But we're going to assume maybe that there aren't multiple dust beings mm. that all have their own agenda that it's just dust and different machines mary's computer the alethiometers the I Ching just talk to dust mm. could it be that actually dust is lyra's fate that it's guiding her and it's also guiding the forces that are against her to get her to do what it wants her to do is that mm. really what fate is in this universe it's actually just dust trying to get its own way which is a lot darker take on it because it's quite manipulative because mm. basically that means that really bad things have to happen in order for just to get what it wants. Well, I mean, consider if consider if the Magisterium weren't doing what they were doing at uh, the ice station, Lyra wouldn't have crossed worlds. Mm. She wouldn't have crossed into another dimension because... There'd be no children up there in the north. There'd be no Roger in the north for Azriel to use to open his bridge to other worlds. Mm. You know, dust could well be pulling all the strings. 
we've talked so much about fate and how if one person is fated, lots of other people must be fated to just support them, to get mm-hmm. them to where they need to be. Is that a manifestation of this, that dust is helping people, but only in a way that suits it to get yeah. what it wants? I mean, a lot of people are kind of cannon fodder. Yeah. I mean, basically everyone's cannon fodder to dust. Yeah. If that's the case. Something interesting to think about. It sure is. Um, Will then kind of asks about the fate of his father, but Lyra reveals that she didn't ask the alethiometer, which I find odd. Yeah, she's asked about his mum. She knows a bit about his dad, about him being a murderer. You just think you'd keep asking. Yeah. But maybe the point she made about the alethiometer clamming up when she's just prying stands and that's why she didn't find out I yeah. don't know yeah. um, she can also tell that Will's a bit afraid but he's mastering mm. his fear and it reminds her of Yorick uh, in the north when he said that if he became afraid he'd master that fear Yeah. Um, it's just interesting isn't it how Lyra links people together Yorick, Asriel, Will she kind of just worships people that are a bit dangerous Yes, she does. She has an unhealthy fascination with people who are a bit damaged, Mm. shall we say, or have unhealthy coping mechanisms. Mm. Um, But yeah, again, she's sort of picking up on emotions, which is a thing that she doesn't normally do. Maybe she's getting a bit more used to reading the demonless will. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, I did mean to say just before you went into the bit about um, will kind of getting angry because she's read the uh, lithiometer and stuff. She just crack out this really good line. I say good. Good as in, it's very typically Lyra being a bit of a knob. Um, that is, no one should speak to her like this. She was an aristocrat. She was Lyra. Which we've speculated on whether that's sort of how she sees herself a bit before. Mm-hmm. And clearly it is. Yeah. What a snob. Yeah, and that's quite a, a line that is quite... It's interesting that we've got lines like that, but then also we've got this kind of newfound interest in emotions. So she's still got some of that brattishness and some of that difficulty to empathise. Yeah. But then also a sense of things starting to change a little bit. It's an interesting dichotomy, isn't it, that she's recognising the feelings in it. Mm but then she's still got quite snobby ideas about herself and about, I guess, what people owe her. Yeah, she has some extreme self-confidence, <laughs> which isn't always bad. Destiny privilege yeah. is what she's got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's just... She was an aristocrat. She was Lyra, you know. Don't you know who I am? Yeah. Don't you know who you're talking to? It's quite an unlikable... Mm. side of Lyra that we see peeking out here and there before like when she didn't want to make the omelette and things like that and she didn't want to clean up after herself I kind of was with her on that why clean up no one's here but you know even (laughs) still (laughs) her reasoning behind why she doesn't doesn't want to do certain things is dubious yeah for sure anyway Lyra promises not to give Will away to anyone they kind of reconcile a little bit um and Lyra briefly explains at that point what happened with Roger. Yeah, the betrayal. Yeah. So she kind of goes into that, which is interesting because 
we haven't heard it from Lyra yet, like her full experience of it. No, we had the immediate sort of aftermath of it and yeah. how she felt then, but this is the first time we've seen her reflect back on it. Yeah, and um, she is cut up about it. Oh, yeah. And, and that seems to be a reminder to her that other people do matter. It may be the kind of turning point for her in her conscience almost that mm. she remembers that and knows that other people matter in all of this yeah i wonder if that's the reason why she does sort of back down a little bit at this point instead of it escalating to a massive argument yeah because she is kind of aware of what happens when you know she gets it wrong wrong. yeah (laughs) yeah basically um will is knackered by this point but unfortunately they can't actually go back in the daylight because people see them going through the through the portal Mm -hmm. yeah so will decides to take lyra to the cinema and lyra loves it she's entranced never seen the cinema in her world yeah it's like she's impressed by that she actually admits that out of like the difference between the two worlds like she's like yeah this is this is pretty cool will's world our world has got some good things will falls asleep in the cinema yeah um but not lyra and when they leave it's still too busy and too light out for them to go back to the the portal the door um so they decide to see another film and get burgers Mm-hmm. Uh, Lyra, interestingly, is really surprised that people will just walk around in the street eating with their hands. Yeah. Um, it's not the kind of silver service meal she's used to. No, yeah, <laughs> I suppose that is a bit of a change, isn't it? I did also think it was funny how when she's in the cinema, uh, or when she's coming out of the cinema, she says, that's the best thing I ever saw in my whole life. And if we just think about what happened in Northern Lights, particularly towards the end, you're like, really? <laughs> Are you sure? You rode a polar bear across the Arctic Circle. You had a massive war with the Magisterium and some witches and some Tartars. Yeah, you saw like the city in the Northern Lights. You saw a barrier between worlds. Travelled between dimensions. That's the best thing you've ever seen. And she went to see, when is this set? Like in the 90s. So she went to see like Jurassic Park, which admittedly, good film. But still. Do you think they know that dinosaurs existed in Lyra's world? Have we had any mention of that? Did dinosaurs exist in Lyra's world? Maybe they did see Jurassic Park and she was like, wow, these incredible mythical creatures they've got. The whole premise of like Jurassic Park would be just intensely confusing if your world didn't have dinosaurs. Do they know what DNA is in Lyra's world? Yeah, be confused. At least they've got that little animation bit, you know, where Richard Hammond does the dino DNA, that bit. Yeah. Mid 90s, though, it might have just been Toy Story. That wasn't 90s, was it? No, that was 2000s. God, no. Toy Story was 90s. Mm. I'm telling you, Mm. don't make me Google it. Toy Story was 90s. Okay. Putting my foot down. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, the point is, Lyra's life is like the best Hollywood action movie that's never been made, at least not properly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yet somehow, whatever film they saw was better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm desperate to know. Well, they saw two as well, so... Well, maybe it's just cinema technology that fascinates her. Yeah. Maybe she's a budding technologist. Uh, in any case, there's still time to kill after the cinema. So Lyra essentially reads... Northern Lights to Will. Lyra yeah. <laughs> tells Will her whole backstory. She does. Not before. Um, she kind of talks about Mary Malone a little bit and does a teeny brag 
about the fact that she could get the scholars to fund her. Mm. Another little moment there where she's like, yeah, you know, I know these Oxford scholars. You can't see there, but I did like a dramatic hair sort of flick. She did a very good dramatic hair flick there. So yeah, another little little brag from her then. It's like, how are you going to convince them to fund someone in another world, Lyra? How are you going to get back to Oxford and get them to give her money? Like, they can come back, portal doesn't close. I just... We'll see, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, she basically recounts Northern Lights. Yeah, pretty much. So if you if you feel like getting the full experience at this point, stop and reread Northern Lights. Yeah. Carry on. <laughs> but after that, because it's quite a long story, <laughs> let's be honest, about eight to nine hours if you read it in one sitting fast... And Will's reaction to this entire thing is that he listens without comment, but attentively, with sympathy. Um, Do you which, think he thinks she's making some of it up? Yeah, I, I think basically what that means is he's just like, mm-hmm, yeah. Sure, Lyra, yeah. Talking bears, yeah. 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 Human hands. <laughs> thing is, considering the things he's seen already, to... I mean, ability got, to lie yeah, she's yeah true but she does have a shape-shifting demon mm-hmm. she does have a clairvoyant pocket watch yeah i suppose I'd, I'd be more i'd be quite inclined to believe even quite a fantastic story from someone that even just had those two things not to mention the fact that he is an interdimensional traveler himself now yes which is surely one of the weirdest parts of the story yeah so that might just then be another sign that he is used to listening and Will doesn't tend to get an active part almost in, even in his own life because he's constantly caring for his mum, he's yeah. looking after. And so even here he's just sort of, you know, passively, passively absorbing yeah, her information and taking it on board. Do you think he enters a sort of listening mode that he uses with his mum when she's saying outrageous things? Quite possibly, yeah. Yeah. In any case, it is true, Will. Oh, if we could tell him, he'd probably run now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so by the time they've had that whole conversation, they head back. Yes, and they they cross through the portal into Chittagatsi and they feel as if they're home again. Mm Mm-hmm. Why? Well, it says that Will feels light and free and at peace. Mm. And I think that gives a little bit more insight because he's had a lot on his plate. Yeah. A lot on his shoulders. So this is maybe the first place where he's felt like he's not got people chasing him. He's not got his mum to look after. So although he misses her, he's not got to constantly be thinking about what she's doing, where she is, and if she's okay and stuff. And it's a space of his own. But they feel home again. I guess I get it more with Will because, apart from anything else, people are hunting him in his own world, so it's hard to feel at home when you're in danger. But what about Lyra? Mm. I wonder if it's because there seems to be more danger in Will's world than there is in, I still can't say it as well as you can. Chittagatsi. There, that place. There seems to be less danger that we know at the moment there than there is in Will's world. Yeah. So I think it's maybe a bit of a relief for them to come back and just be like... <sighs> yeah, so she just feels closer to home than she did in Will's world. I guess yeah. for her, Will's world is more alien because she sees more of the, the differences. And it's the that whole uncanny rally kind of yeah. 
situation. But the homeliness doesn't last very long. <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> they hear screams and they pursue the sound of these screams in the sources. 20 or so children stoning a cat, essentially. Yep, uh, crowded round the base of the tower that was mentioned uh, yeah, left, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and they are throwing sticks and stones at something. Um, and whatever they're throwing sticks and stones at is screaming. And the children are also very agitated, very scared. It's just a bit of a mess going on here. Bit of a chaotic scene in Chittagatsi yes. today mm-hmm. as riots erupted. And it, it's the cat, actually, that Will followed through the portal. Yeah, bless it. The one that reminds me of Moxie. Yeah. And these children are just like pelting it with stuff um will goes full protection mode flings a boy aside and goes to pick it up um for a second lyra looks at him and thinks maybe this is a demon because he is so tender towards it and so protective of it but i think that's just kind of will's nature he's obviously got a close connection to cats because of moxie his cat and the fact that he followed that cat in the first place yeah you know there's something that he feels comforted and and secure around Um, i think it's also just generally worth noting particularly for non-british listeners that people in britain are extremely outraged by cruelty to animals in general Maybe I've travelled a bit more than you know. In some places, people think we're insane for the amount of money and lengths we'll go to to protect animals from cruelty. Particularly considering most people in Britain eat meat, it is a little bit odd. But yeah, um, we are self-described nation of animal lovers. Mm, Yeah. Um, There was that woman that put the cat in the, the wheelie bin. And people went absolutely nuts. I mean, kind of quite rightly, she was a dick. Yeah. She put a cat in a wheelie bin. National outrage. Yeah. Uh, viral campaign on social media to find out who she was and name and shame her. And it worked. And she was prosecuted for animal cruelty. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. That's one <laughs> example. But yeah, um, um, Will demands to know why they've hurt the cat. He's clearly like angry but taking like control in this situation as well he's not kind of completely lost it with anger he's focused with it i'd say yeah he doesn't lose control yeah i think is the important thing um and there's a big sort of altercation between him and the children as they try and explain or justify yeah why they're doing it yeah angelica kind of the, the girl that they've met previously claims that he doesn't understand because he's not from the city. So, and it says that there was a current of electric hatred between the two of them that only violence could earth. Ooh, I loved that. I that's thought that was, brilliant. yeah, because you felt it with people before. I don't know if you have, but you know, when you feel that real tension of like, the only thing that's going to kill this is me punching you in the face. Yeah. Yeah. But then usually what happens for me is like, I get really freaked out and I cry. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to confront your own animalistic nature. Yeah. Um, yeah, Will refuses to tell them where they're from because they're also, like, questioning him on that. Once Angelica's kind of said, well, you're not from here, you wouldn't understand that, kind of attracts the kid's attention. Um, and he takes the cat. Diffusing the tension. Pantaliman. <gasps> we hear a low growl and he's become a leopard. Now imagine Ooh. these kids aren't fond of cats and Pan's now a giant predatory cat. That scatters them. But not just any cat, a 
a snow leopard who like Samaria. Yes. Like Azrael's demon. Yeah, which is kind of cool and kind of impressive that she's like got a full on snow leopard as a demon. Yeah, but do you think that's a hint that whatever Lyra is feeling at this scene arouses a sort of Azrielness in her nature? Quite possibly. And what would an Azriel-like nature be? I think you expect me to have thought this through more than I have. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that sort of stoic focus on doing what needs to be done, even if it costs other people their lives. Maybe she is determined to protect Will in this situation mm-hmm. and doesn't care if it upsets the other kids or causes them harm. I would absolutely agree. And it's quite fascinating that she feels that way after, again, such a short amount of time, she feels very protective yeah. of him. At this point, the other children flee, kind of understandably, because they don't know what a demon is. So as far as they're concerned, a massive snow leopard has just appeared. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And as they run off, Lyra notices a young man in the tower that keeps getting mentioned mm-hmm. for apparently no reason. It's never for no reason. Um, but she doesn't really bother to mention it. Why she doesn't ever bother to mention really important things she's noticed, I don't know. Yeah, if I saw that, I'd be like, you know, well... There's, there's a man... You know how this city's got no adults in it? Well, it has, and he's watching us. No, it's not. It doesn't matter. They're yeah, just going to go probably... back, go back to their little house. Yeah, that they've uh, been inhabiting. To the flat above the cafe. Yeah, where Lyra sleeps. Can yeah. I just can I just say Lyra sleeps there? You can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Will feeds the cat. I just wanted to point out this right here that I believe he gives the cat milk. Do not give cats milk. <laughs> it's bad for them. Mm. Bad Phil. Bad animal advice. He might not have known in the 90s. It was well, a yeah, different time. People didn't used to know that kind of thing. Give them just, you can buy cat milk. He is trying to help, though. Will's trying to help. He's nursing the cat. He tries to bandage its tail. Yeah. Uh, which he thinks might be broken. Yeah. And I think Pan even turns into a cat to try and sort of communicate with it in some way. <laughs> but the cat knows that Pan is not a real animal. That's interesting. It can tell he's different. Yeah. And I just wonder, like, why Why does Pan want to do that? Is it more, again, about that thing where Lyra had that feeling as if the cat was Will's demon and he's used to kind of interacting with people's animals? Do you think it's an unconscious desire from Lyra to have Will treat her the way he's treating the injured cat? She Maybe. wants him to cuddle her up and be kind to her, so... Inside, she kind of almost maybe is a bit envious of the cat and Pan becomes a cat as a reflection of that. Maybe. I'd say that's quite a... Leap. Yeah, maybe. Maybe Pan just wants to try and communicate with said cat and thinks he'll get on better if he is also a cat. Yeah. Um, But I just thought it would be quite obvious to a demon that you can't communicate with animals. So, and Lyra's watching Will at this point, tending to the cat. And I think she's confused by that tenderness. So I wonder whether that plays into it as well. I guess people don't have pets as much when you have demons, because it's like, why would you know? Never any mention of pets in Lyra's world that I can remember. And then like you say, why would you bother when you've got a pet that doesn't need feeding? You've got the perfect pet in your demon. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect more than a pet, remember? They're not just pets. No, that's right. It's horrific to suggest that they're pets, Pets. isn't it? That's the sort of thing Cocteau would do. But essentially, like... 
You still, do. Yeah. Totes, but still also. Totes are great, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I wonder whether that's sort of part of it, that um, Lyra's never been around anyone who's had a pet animal, so she's not used to seeing that kind of kindness given to an animal unless it's a demon that's obviously got an animal form. I'm still going with my theory okay. that it's like an unconscious beg for Will's affection. Yeah. But we can fight about it afterwards if you like. Yes. In the garden with yeah. sharp sticks. Uh-huh. Good deal. Cool. I'll see you there at sunrise. So, so Lyra seems a bit confused about what was happening. Um, she says they would have killed her. I never seen kids being like that. And Will really sadly says, "I have." Mm. Will has seen children's cruelty. Mm-hmm. He's probably been the subject of it. And it it follows up by actually saying, "But his face had closed. He didn't want to talk about it, and she knew better than to ask." She knew she wouldn't even ask the alethiometer. Really interesting stuff there. So again, we've got Will kind of closing off that emotion. Mm. We've got Lyra keeping to her promise not to pry too much into it, which obviously kind of shows her respect for him and his feelings and not invading his privacy now they've had that conversation. Um, And also... Hints at Will's backstory. yeah, Yeah, that he's potentially had to endure sort of bullying as well and and things which kind of would make sense if his mum's got those problems you know kids are awful to each other if they find out there's any kind of differences there Absolutely. so you know if you're kind of obviously different like well because they said about the house being run down and stuff so I'm guessing that maybe Will doesn't always have like new shoes or new clothes or it's always well kept you know, welcome. It's just a death sentence at school, isn't mm. it? I bet everyone was constantly calling him Will, Will, Trampy Will. Yeah, or something. Or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's that's really sad, but it's also kind of encouraging to see that Lyra does care for Will and she is trying to respect him yeah. and his privacy. Uh, at this point... Lyra goes to sleep. She does. <laughs> uh, which typically would be the point where the chapter ends, as we've said before. Mm. But now we've got Will on the scene. The story can continue yes. without Lyra. And it does. He decides he's finally going to closely examine the papers that he brought from home, his mum's papers in the little case. This is exciting to me, this bit. I yeah. was, I'd was, i actually forgotten entirely, erased from my mind the fact that they read through the actual letters and it's I just found it really exciting yeah I mean fundamentally one of the most important things he finds is written on airmail paper hence the title of the chapter several letters and notes from Will's dad to his mum and there's quite a lot in them but I've summarized what I think are the most important points to do with the plot and the characters okay if you don't mind me going through them that way okay yeah and you can jump in at any point and tell me, Chris, this is too brief a summary, but I felt like there was a lot of, there's a lot of warmth in the letters, I will say yes. that, but I've not explicitly noted all of that down. But the first kind of significant note is written from Fairbanks, Alaska in 1985, mm-hmm. and it discusses the physicist that's on the expedition yes. with Will's father into the north. Um, and essentially... It discusses the incompetence of him. He calls him a genial dimwit, which is amazing. (laughs) And how he doesn't seem to really get 
the situation they're going into, but also yeah. that there's a gold miner up there that has told Will's dad about an anomaly. And it seems to be that that's actually really why Will's dad is up there. He's mm-hmm. looking for this thing that he keeps referring to as an anomaly, but he doesn't seem to be aware that other people know it's up there. Um, and it's rumoured to be the subject of a native legend, a local native legend of a doorway to the spirit world. Um which allegedly they use as some sort of rite of passage, shamanic rite of passage. You enter Mm. the spirit world and come back a shaman type of thing. Um, But he has found what are supposed to be the coordinates that locate this thing, and he's written them in the letter. Um, The next one is from Umiat, Alaska, still 1985, and he started to form the impression that the physicist might be feigning some of his stupidity and that maybe he's also looking for the anomaly. And he uses some kind of almost grey man tactics worthy of Lyra to naively (laughs) ask this physicist questions and tease out what he knows about the anomaly himself, Um, but he doesn't think that the physicist knows as much as him. Then from Colville Bar, Alaska, we have another letter, which is the last one he's going to write before he quote unquote takes to the hills, which I assume means go into the wilderness. Um, The archaeologists on the team are convinced that they're going to find evidence of human life that's earlier than any that has been found before. And they use the word anomalous evidence or anomalous signs of human life. Mm -hmm. And Will's dad is speculating on whether or not humans may actually have come through this anomaly he's looking for um, at an earlier time than humans are supposed to have existed in our world. Mm. He also discovers that the physicist is being funded by the Ministry of Defence because he sees some paperwork the physicist got and recognises that some of the account numbers on it are sort of standard Ministry of Defence account numbers. He'd probably know that because he was, you know, elite forces, marine commando, has probably even potentially been on a few missions that were a bit secretive. Um, but he's also found a local Inuit. Pullman calls him an Eskimo. Or yeah, maybe, maybe Will's dad too. calls him an Eskimo via Pullman, uh, which is not the preferred term by any means. So he's he's met an Inuit who's met some Russians that are also up there looking for the anomaly in parallel. And then finally, he closes that letter by saying that he'll he'll bring back a trophy from the spirit world for for Will's mum, and he loves her forever. That was a yeah. Did that cover everything? Yeah, that was that was really good. Mm. I was I'm very impressed with that. I can do a verbal montage, me. I was I'd written loads of notes down there, but you summed it up like really, really well. Um, Synthesising complex data is a big part of my job. Yeah, congrats <laughs> on that. Um, the only bits I'd pick up on maybe are just some of the language that's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so the sign outs for the letters, like saying, my fondest love to you both, Johnny. Um, there is a lot of warmth, yeah. Yeah, you can really tell that he loves his wife. And I think that makes it even more sad what's happened because she's obviously ill and this person who loved her never comes home yeah and yeah the use of johnny instead of like john or whatever it's very sort of you know familiar and stuff and yeah just the fact that he talks about will in the letters and clearly you know loves him and wants to come home and see him and bring him something and all of that is um is quite sad yeah 
because you know that he's sort of not coming back from it. Um, yeah, it was interesting reading this like as, as a little story. I found it quite fun almost to have the letters and yeah. have the little story develop that way. It was quite a nice reveal, I think. I think so too. And I suppose it's worth saying, although I'm sure everyone knows, that this anomaly must be the door through which uh will's dad traveled to other worlds it must indeed be a door between dimensions mm. will realizes that too and he realizes that perhaps those coordinates and this sort of information was what the intruders were looking for when they were hounding him and his mum mm. yeah so when we sort of go back to will at this point um Willie's kind of just shocked to find his dad describing a similar window to the one that he's just found. Um, and that's kind of convinces him that he must be on the right track in what he's doing. Mm. Um, you get this sense now that he really feels like he's following in his father's footsteps. Remember yeah. the, the foreshadowing earlier of uh, Will's mum had told him that one day Will would take up his father's mantle. Yeah, and he this is, is happy to share something important with his dad. But he also, in a really sort of sad moment, realises that some of his mother's fears are real. Yeah, maybe his mum wasn't as paranoid as he thought. Yeah, and I would say, as we did kind of with some of the TV stuff as well, because this is kind of similarities there, that she is clearly mentally ill. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that some of the fears that she has aren't legitimate. Absolutely. It, and maybe more of them were legitimate than we would have realised, because clearly whatever his dad was involved in is a big sort of international conspiracy involving the military, mm. involving the Russians, the Russians, the, mm. and it's entirely possible that they were doing things like checking up on his mum's bank account and mm. following her. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's sad because it's either kind of contributed towards her mental ill health or... I mean, it could certainly have become a focal point for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But maybe could we consider that maybe Will's mum wasn't mentally ill? I know we've said we don't want to see it that way, mm. as it being like, you know, because it, it implies that maybe there's no such thing as mental illness. Maybe it discredits mental health. I think I would only go as far to say as it might be possible that she doesn't have something like schizophrenia but I think it's still possible from her other behaviour and this is completely armchair psychoanalyzing which you absolutely shouldn't do but um that it might but she's going to do it anyway yeah um that it might be possible that she still has because she still has problems looking after will looking after how she gets confused so it might be possible that she still has depression or anxiety but yeah. that some of the stuff that seems more delusional is actually real so it might yeah. just be that it's something else than what it appears to be indeed but that is quite sad it's yes. sad to think that maybe even will didn't believe her mm. and actually it was true i think that's a terrifying thing like imagine if you actually did start experiencing stuff like that and no one believed you yeah i mean i think that is the crux of a lot of the suffering that people who are psychotic probably endure. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter whether it's real in the outside world or yeah. not, to them it is. Yeah. And Will actually says that also earlier in the, um, you know, it not being real doesn't mean it's any less real or scary or frightening 
to that person. So yeah, I mean, your your perception is your filter for reality. So if it looks real to you, it might as well be as far as you're mm. concerned. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Will kind of imagines talking to his dad about it, um, and his dad being proud, which is sad and... it, re- it resonates with me because i have a lot of imaginary conversations with people for some reason maybe yeah. it's a feature of being an only child i don't know mm. but i mean i have imaginary conversations some have got quite in detail where i've had to like remind myself that that's not happening or hasn't yeah. happened yeah or whatever but i think you you do it even more than i do just generally kind of going off into your little headspace and yeah oftentimes what i'm actually doing is talking to myself but assigning a character to it to try and see things from another perspective which is perhaps quite odd i don't know if it is or not i think no i don't think it's odd i think it could potentially be unhelpful because you could go oh well i've already had that conversation with that person but actually you've only had it in your head. So what you're doing is projecting your own ideas of what that conversation will be onto. And you bring that up specifically because that is something I've done. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have kind of sometimes almost forgotten that the real conversation might have gone a different way. Mm -hmm. I think that's quite a danger when it's a conversation you really intend to have as opposed to just batting around ideas. Yeah, batting around ideas is quite, it could be quite useful to feel like you've got another voice there to sort of weigh things up against but yeah when when it's kind of about a real conversation but here I think with with Will he's just kind of comforting himself I mean I suspect that he's imagined his dad a lot we've got that impression before that Mm -hmm. his father figure is almost the imagination of his dad Mm -hmm. and that's him meeting imaginary dad again yeah and he's and he feels that bit close to him because he's got the letters yeah and he can see that fondness in words for himself and for his mum and the kind of intent to sort of come back and things, you know. It would tug the heartstrings. It would indeed. Yeah. And at that point, he folds the letters away, falls asleep. There we go. End scene. Classic Pullman. End yeah. of chapter. Someone falls asleep. For God's sake, they must, or the chapter didn't really end. <laughs> <laughs> so I think today, rather than doing a spoiler alert, or rather than doing my own spoilers, I want to talk about the really odd thing that I discovered literally a couple of days ago. Mm. And I haven't had a lot of time to research it thoroughly or fact check all of the sources I've found to the extent that I normally would. But I'd like to just kind of put it out there because it it blew my mind. We've talked a lot about Tartars Mm. and particularly in the first book when in our first season when they came up a lot um, and who they are in the real world was essentially, I thought, most people probably think if they research Tartars, that it is roughly just a geographic location, sort of northwest of Asia, east of Russia. Tartars are someone from that part of the world. I discovered just a few days ago that apparently there was actually a Tartar empire, Tartaria, and that it was in fact a properly governed civilization, multi-ethnic, multicultural from the sounds of what some people write about it perfect example of how a multicultural society could exist these kind of different people who all have some level of autonomy but are all part of this collective culture Um, and that apparently it was essentially wiped out by the early soviet union and their history 
more or less completely suppressed and rewritten as them just being this disparate group of people. Now, I will say that I've not checked all the sources on this. I have seen a CIA document that has been declassified um, because, you know, most classified documents, there's an expiry on there. Mm. classification um, in which the CIA are discussing how effectively the Soviet Union was able to dismantle this civilization and its history and hide its existence and how that sort of is evidence of one of the threats of communism. Now it is worth saying that although as far as I can tell that document's genuine, I mean I think you can get it from official government websites, it was written at the height of the Cold War and the CIA are at that time, let's say, known to have operated somewhat shadily, so they may have been exaggerating things to try and make the reds yeah. under the bed thing seem. I was going to say terrified of communists as well. So anything to add fuel to the fire. Exactly, kind of but um, there's certainly, for example, some evidence to suggest that history has been at least misremembered from the Tartar or the Tartaria culture, if not damaged. So imagine Genghis Khan. What does he look like to you? Mongolian. Yeah they've got portraits that were painted by other people of the region mm. during his life of several important figures like Genghis Khan from that part of the world, which show them as not the stereotypical Mongolian looking people, but some look Asian, some look Eastern European. Um, I think it's quite clear that the whole Tartar region and the Mongolians and all the rest of it are maybe being a little bit misremembered if if their history hasn't been rewritten. But it just blew my mind the idea that 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 might have actually been a full on civilization, mm. an actual organisation. So whereabouts was it located? Sorry. So it was in that region. It's um, east of Russia, northwest of Asia. Okay. So let me, let me do an imaginary map. Imagine your world map. We're both putting our hands up, imagining it. Here's the. You've got the big chunk of land that is basically Europe, go east of Europe and you hit kind of Russia. Yeah. Yeah. And then go east of that and you hit Asia as in sort of yeah. China, Korea, etc. And below all of that, you've got India. It's, it's that chunk in the middle that you can't imagine mm -hmm. because you think it's just Russia into Asia. Like a huge, huge mass of land basically effectively is allegedly where Tartaria lay. And it would have encompassed Mongolian people, people who were maybe more sort of North Indian uh, mm. in their appearance and culture, kind of Himalayan, um, Eastern European. What's really interesting is I've visited different parts of the Balkans and Eastern Europe and places like Greece as well quite a lot. And a lot of culture there is strongly derived from A, the Thracians and B, the Mongolians. Mm. But they have very... They have a very matter-of-fact way of explaining how important, like, what we call Mongolians were in their culture. Um, fundamentally, they view themselves as part of the same people as the Mongolians and Thracians, which I always thought was a bit odd, and maybe it was because there was, like, a little migratory group of Mongolians that made it that far. Mm. But that kind of would make a lot more sense if you consider that actually there could have just been a whole civilization that encompassed that huge body of land and that people in that region historically were a part of. Mm. So I might link to some documents in the discussion group and let people make their own minds up. Has a civilization been erased or is it merely a slight misremembering of how much mingling there was between different cultures? And what impact does it have on our understanding of uh, his dark materials? Well, could it be that Philip Pullman essentially picked the Tartars as a 
civilization in his dark materials as if their empire had never fallen because mm. they're written about as like a really distinct group of they people are, yeah. a distinct culture rather than just a a collection of lands with a bunch of people yeah. maybe living in you know we get the idea they have a culture they do things a certain way mm. they are tartars and i'd always thought that they were quite negatively portrayed because they always kind of like um antagonists in, the baddies, aren't they? yeah but whether that's because that's coming from a, a quite a western perspective so from lyra and the other people around her from their perspective whether that's why they're could it could it be that philip wanted there to be a sort of evil culture and decided to pick one that he felt didn't represent a specific nationality or something maybe he thought mm. it was safe potentially because it's i think that's maybe a bit of an issue when you're kind of doing an alternative version of the world you could quite easily be like and you guys are the baddies and just replay old well tolkien has been accused of racism because he uses essentially people from the east to be the baddies doesn't he yeah it's actually quite an interesting um podcast episode on the the tolkien podcast that i listened to and they did a whole episode about that so if you're a tolkien fan if you're a book nerd what um, is the podcast called? called the prancing pony yeah and they do a whole episode i don't necessarily agree with everything that they say i think it's a fairly simplistic view of racism and stuff yeah but there's still some interesting things to just consider in there about what Tolkien was like and maybe what things were I think that it's that thing again of intent so maybe what his intent was but then sometimes it's not about what you intend it's what the final what result yeah. yeah so there's that but yeah that's quite interesting yeah. so. you could very well have the same discussion about Sir Philip of Pullman mm. using words like Eskimo instead of Inuit and mm-hmm. uh, we can always say that it's in the context of the time that in the 90s people were less aware that that was fundamentally a racial slur invented by Europeans. Mm-hmm. Um, but even still, he did write that. And you can ask some questions about his descriptions of Africa and Afric things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like we'd need a whole episode for that on its own, so it won't be this episode. Yeah. But fundamentally, I just wanted to tell people that there may well have been an entire civilization, an organized empire, effectively, that's been kind of just wiped from history. But I don't know if it's true or not. But it's relevant because they had the same name as some characters in this book. You're going to go down a conspiracy hole now. I'm not. I've, I've been very good about not buying into conspiracies my whole life. But if <laughs> it's now. true, if it's true, then it's not a conspiracy, is it? That's just what the man wants you to think. <laughs> You're going to have your own Wake TV up, show. The Tartars were real. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's it for me. I just wanted to ramble incoherently about something I don't yet fully understand. Did you have any spoilers? Um, I don't think so. As usual, um, every spoiler has vanished from my brain. Well, there are some things coming up, but maybe we just go spoiler-free and let everyone listen to the whole episode this week in recognition of the fact that it's Pride Month, everyone. Something to be Yay. happy about. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, I mean, we can't, like, pride outside, but we can... Pride on the podcast by not doing spoilers. <laughs> Tenuous at best. Yeah. I was going to say, what will we be doing for Pride? Very little. Sitting at home, avoiding the plague. Yeah. <laughs> we do have our new snake, Blinky. Yeah. 
Will she be? Will we be dressing her up for Pride? She's pink. I think she's a good Pride snake. She, is she pink? She's albino, so. Yes, she is. And she's adorable. She's so tiny because she's a baby. Let's not squee over the snake. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll play with our snake for Pride, as I'm sure many people oh, wow. will. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Very nice. Well, we hope you enjoyed that. Um, we hope you've tried to anyway. Enjoy it, yeah. Please do get in touch with any sort of questions you have for us. Yeah. So it would be really lovely, like, if you have any particular questions that you'd like to, us to answer, whether it be about the books or even about us. You never know. You might have some questions. Yeah. You don't have to answer them. No. Well, <laughs> you can contact us by email yes. or by social media, a uh-huh. Facebook discussion group. Please yeah. join. Don't don't be shy. You can ask us. Yeah. Um, Links in the show notes. Indeed. Absolutely. You know how yeah. to find us. You do. You do indeed. So get in touch. Please do. Thank you for listening. We love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.